Hello and welcome to the AMBT Comics Podcast, episode 239. This week, I have Chris Copeland on, and we're going to dig deep into comics news, talk about our favorite comics, and talk a little bit about next week, too. Chris, how you doing this fine Saturday morning? My ankle hurts, but I'm here. <laughs> I love how I come in real hot with positivity, and you're like, my ankle hurts. <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> I just have to balance out some of the some of those vibes. It's a oh, lot. Totally. Oh, totally. Yeah, no, no. You're 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 my yin to my yang here. Oh. Uh, if you don't I... know, Chris is a editing maestro, interviewing maestro at AIPT and at other places too. Not just AIPT. This guy is a renaissance man of writing, journalism, <laughs> editorial. Guy makes choices that you don't even know, and it's changing your life, right, Chris? Oh boy, I think you're giving me too much power. Oh my God, it's going to go to your head. And Monday, you're going to be like, it Dave, is. that's it. You're fired. The site is mine now. <laughs> yeah, I own it. Oh, man. No, but Chris does amazing work. Uh, definitely check out AIPT every Tuesdays and Thursdays, usually. Uh, we have interviews most every Tuesday, Thursday, if not more than two or three. Uh, Chris keeps the site uh, fed with uh, insider interview content. And uh, couldn't have a better guy doing it. You could, but you won't. So, yeah, it's part of the contract. It yeah. says I won't. Yeah. Yeah. Literally can't, <laughs> like legally obligated to settle. That's true. Yeah, it's actually in the Constitution mm-hmm. of the United States of America. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> settle for me. Uh, this week, Nathan's off. Uh, he was actually at my house uh, yesterday visiting New England, but he's on a plane while we're recording. So. Uh, yeah, he'll be back next week, and uh, we have some big surprises in store for you guys. We've got Chips Zdarsky on the show coming up uh, in a hour and 45-minute interview where we get to know him. Literally, he is known by the end of this uh, interview. Well, <laughs> we also talk about Batman and other comics and stuff, too. But this week, we have special guest Scott Hoffman on to talk about WAG number one. It's already out. Uh, issue two is out October 3rd, and... Uh, Chris, you actually interviewed him a few months ago, right? I did. Yeah. Scott's a great writer, and both of the last two books have been great, and I think it'll be a cool interview. Yeah, we it's a it's a it's like a forty minute interview. We dig a little bit into a lot of stuff. We actually get off topic a little bit, talk about psychology and stuff. Um, it's it's we get into some interesting places. If you don't know, Scott Hoffman is from the Scissor Sisters, doing keyboard, guitar, all sorts of stuff. And um, I don't remember if we talk about being in the band too much. I, we definitely did off air. But yeah, uh, he's he is a renaissance man when it comes to talents. Uh, a as, true renaissance man. As you'll see in the interview. But before we get to the interview, let's talk about the biggest news of the week. And usually the biggest news of the week isn't necessarily size, it's drama. <laughs> <laughs> and boy howdy, is there drama from Bill Willingham this week who went on his blog and posted uh, what he called a press release saying that he is giving up the copyright to Fables. He is the writer of Fables and has been since it was at Vertigo. Um, this is a series that actually returned um, a few months ago, and actually the latest issue just came out in June. But he claims that uh, anyone can now take the Fables property and use it however they like. Um, he cited the fact that DC wasn't paying him royalties and he'd have to go after them to get his royalties, he also said that sometimes they just wouldn't pay him, and it seems like he's fed up and done working with DC, and as a, I don't know, a response, he's seemingly trying to take it away from them, 
but also admits that it's a complicated situation when it comes to copyright and public domain in that, you know, whether or not they can continue to put out trade paperbacks or whatever it remains to be seen. Um, Chris, what was your first response when you saw his uh, blog post? Um, I laughed to the point of crying for about <laughs> seven or eight minutes. Right. Right. It's, uh, it's just bold. It's, we were talking about this off the air, but I made the comparison of like, this is like Michael Scott from the office screaming, like I declare bankruptcy. Like he has zero idea how this stuff works, how yeah. it operates. Mm -hmm. I don't even think he was like, he recognized it. Like, Oh, maybe I'm wrong. And this isn't how it works mm -hmm. because like, the very next day, DC had to put out a statement and be like, no, this is not how copyright works. You cannot just toss something into the public domain mm -hmm. because you feel like it. Right. Right. According to law, this is not something – you don't just decree that it's public domain yeah. and that's it. Yeah. When, when I was reading that blog, I had the same thought. Like, <clears throat> isn't there some sort of legal ramification or next steps with a, going to give up the copyright? Like, you can't just say it and it's true because yeah. someone could just – you know, two weeks from now say, oh, Bill was just joking. You know what I mean? And it, yeah, it's also one of those things of he made mention of in the same breath of this is now in the public domain of like, oh, but you can't reprint it or repurpose it, um, which is to my knowledge of what I've read, sort of one of the things when something's in public domain, you can absolutely reprint and repurpose it. Mm -hmm. Right. So again, I don't know how much he knows, how much research he has. Yeah. Or if this is just like a wacky, uh, you know, a wacky statement from him trying to like rally against DC for his perceived slights. Yeah, but. you hit the nail on the head with perceived. Like, I know a lot of people are are doing, you know, defending both sides. But at this point, we we don't really know what is true. Like, it's a he said, she said, because he's saying he wasn't paid or having to fight to get pay. DC yeah. obviously isn't going to comment at all. And on some scale, there is some, you know, being a good businessman and you don't just go out and tell the world that your company's not paying you. You know what I mean? Like, it's a weird thing to navigate, not knowing all the facts. I mean, um, I agree with that. But I would also say that, like, I, I'm obviously, and I think you would agree, we're both sympathetic to creators getting yeah. paid oh, their yeah. fair share and on time. And, you know, if that's a legitimate concern for Mr. Willingham, I, I think that's great. But this just feels like this weird stunt that he's pulling. Mm. And I don't I'm I'm curious with the deeper if it were just about getting paid, I think he could have done something else. But I'm that's I'm right. That's what I was genuinely about. curious mm -hmm. about, like, what's the game? What's the plot? What's the ploy? Right, right. I saw Neil Gaiman talking on Blue Sky a little bit about this. <clears throat> He's very fascinated with copyright for a lot of reasons. <laughs> yeah. If you know his history and ties to things like, I don't know, characters from Spawn to, uh, yeah. yeah, anyway, uh, Miracle Man. But um, <laughs> he was saying what's kind of fascinating about all of this is that uh, Bill doesn't own the characters. They're all already public domain. That's how fables always worked. They were mm. literally taking you know, Little Bo Peep and the Big Bad Wolf and putting a spin on it. And thus, they could get away with taking these, you know, Brothers Grimm characters and just doing something new. So he doesn't technically own the Big Bad Wolf. Yeah. One might argue he owns the iteration of the Big Bad Wolf. He, yeah, he owns a version of it, mm. but does that is that applicable here? Right. 
right? Because in a sense, he was getting away with using the characters because they weren't part of copyright. So now he's saying, I'm giving up copyright. I don't know. It's weird. There's like layers to this that wouldn't be with something like Spider-Man or something like that uh, for obvious reasons. So yeah, I, 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 I don't know. It's also like, personally, I've never like, I liked Fables for a period where I read like the first eight volumes in college. Yeah. But it's not a book that I was like cherishing or coming back to. <laughs> when the new one was announced, I don't I didn't know anyone who was like gaga for it. Now, obviously I'm just speaking for myself, but is this a huge blow to DC Comics to like lose fables or lose the ongoing story? I don't really think it is. So Yeah, I don't I don't, I don't think it is. I mean it I, I, I'm a, with you in that I read sort of the early stuff and I enjoyed it enough, but yeah. I that's the thing I kept returning to was like, maybe he's just trying to drum up attention and like mm. inject some drama mm-hmm. into that book that maybe it'll do better. But you know, I, it's really curious that this is the way that he mm. decided to do things. And he just kind of comes off like kind of half cocked a little. Right. I mean, and DC gave him a crossover with Batman and the big bad wolf there. Yeah. So it's not like they were like treating him poorly or inhibiting his ideas i guess or just, trying to limit the yeah. book itself like I'm, right. yeah if you cross it with batman yeah they're trying to make it work so i don't know it's uh, like you said I, I, if he's not being paid that's definitely not cool <laughs> but right I, I don't know if this is the smartest way to ensure you get paid in the future because now you might <laughs> just be tied up in some sort of legal battle i don't know it's weird yeah but if there I'm, are new developments I'm... we'll definitely be reporting on aapt uh, moving on to some more DC Comics news. DC released their full December 2023 solicitations. And boy, does Beast World bust out. <laughs> That's my title. Sorry, not theirs. There is a ton of stuff in here to look at. I highly recommend checking out the article on aptcomics.com because there's lots of visuals. Uh, almost every cover that's going to come out in December from DC Comics is in this article, including varying covers like Santa Claus in the classic green lantern cover pose holding up what should be rings but there are bells and like buttons of the superheroes like how cool is that idea um a lot of uh, interesting story details in here for instance we're finding out that chip zadarsky's batman of zoran r is wrapping up um and it appears as though two-face is somehow involved with this story which actually makes a lot of sense considering there's like a dual personality thing going on with him internally um there is just, I, you know, I say this every month, but DC seems to have better cover art, like pound for pound than any other publisher. Maybe I'm wrong. I mean, it's all subjective, but what are you going to do? I, no, I think there's some, there's some credence to that. I think, especially maybe in the last year, year and a half, I feel like they've really stepped up and mm. I mean, they've given stuff to like, I mean, not only did like somebody like CJ Ward get, you know, his upcoming, um, batman book but i mean he's done a bunch of title or done a bunch of covers and i just think that there's yeah there's so many weird story avenues that they've gone to that i think that they do great stuff with with covers mm-hmm. especially in december i think that's like a mm. a clarifying moment of like oh wow their covers are bonkers last month we we were we found out there's this santa claus batman crossover book <laughs> i just laughed thinking about it and uh this in december they're capitalizing on that because there are going to be variant covers of santa teaming up with other heroes um i mean i don't know it's just such a bonkers out there idea that i kind of want to buy them even though i don't collect variant covers 
Um, if you are a fan of Frank Miller, there's an interesting uh, facsimile. Fac- <laughs> facsimile. Facsimile. This is this facsimile. is also a, a, a podcast about pronunciation. Uh, <laughs> they are re-releasing Frank Miller and David Mazzuccelli's uh, classic Batman Year One in single issue format, uh, all four issues throughout the month of December, which is pretty cool because. They're essentially saying, look, you can experience this like everyone else did when it first released and like changed the Batman game. Uh, this, of course, is the, you know, first year of Batman being Batman. So it's, you know, sort of back to the basics kind of thing with Batman. And it really kind of re- revitalized the character when it first came out. Uh, it's kind of a neat idea to be able to revisit that. Um, if you, Imagine if you're like a parent with like a seven, ten year old and get them to experience it, too. That's pretty neat. Yeah, I'd love to see them do that with more just random stories from across other characters. I think, yeah, mm-hmm. hit the nail on the head of it. Some child or teenager can act like they're sort of collecting it for the first time. And mm-hmm. who doesn't want to be a part of history? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's what AIPT's credo is. Um, there's a, what's that? I said, who doesn't want to be a part of history? Yeah. There, if you're trade waiting, Night Terrors is finally getting released in December. Right in time for the under the Christmas tree, you know, the horrors and nightmares that belong <laughs> during Christmas yeah, time or Hanukkah. Nightmare Before Christmas. Haven't you seen that movie? Oh, that's true. That's true. Um, People plus, love. They do. They do. They love the, the combos. They do. Yeah. Um, if you like Joe Casey, and who doesn't? Uh, he's got a new series called Neil Before Zod coming out with Dan McDade drawing. And uh, yeah, this was a, this is officially. I think it might have been announced at STCC. I forget. I think it was like in passing announced, but this is for sure coming out. But what's funny is it's coming out January second, so it's not December. Um, I think now that publishers are not using Diamond, uh, a lot of their solicits do reveal stuff a little bit later because shipping and uh, pre-orders and stuff have to happen a little sooner. Yeah. But yeah, there's a there is. A certifiable ton of cool stuff in these solicits. I, I think we're, you're also missing uh, Beast World. Uh, you touched on it sort of being mm-hmm. a big part of December, but I'm also curious of, like <laughs> how it's going to land just given this is what the second or third big event from mm. DC in the last, what, however many months? Yeah, because it was Night Terrors, know, Gotham War, yeah. and now this, I guess, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Kong versus Justice League is continuing, and that's something <laughs> itself. There you go. I am buying one of those stupid variant covers that makes noises, the, the screech Are... of Godzilla or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. They're like $15. So not Are worth they? it. Really? Yeah, it's absurdly expensive. It's kind of worth it. I'm going to chase my cats around the house <laughs> with you the cover. monster. I'm yeah. I'm saying they should have this every month for every issue. Spider Man, you open it, it's thwip thwip thwip. I don't know, or the sound oh, of wheat cakes being made. <laughs> uh, he makes some quip where he's like, "Thanks for buying my book." There you go. Or I don't know. I'm not Spider Man. I'm not. I know. Clever. You have to be meaner, or like, yeah, or make a bad joke. Yeah. Yeah, as you said, Beast World is like this multi-part event crossover thing uh, with tie-ins. It's your classic tie-in kind of event thing. Um, I was never really into the Titans. I mean, I, I respect them, but I never really read it as a guy. I wasn't a DC guy. I was a DC guy like 
post-college. So I'm like a faux DC guy. <laughs> I'm like a bougie DC guy. <laughs> I mean, you and I are of similar age. I think if you came to it post-college, it was a pretty good time to, mm. to jump into DC. Yeah, it was so like the new 52. Hard to, mm-hmm. Yeah, hard to blame you for your your posturing, David. Mm. Your posturing. I like to posture. That's what I do. do. That's what I'm good at. Speaking <laughs> of bougie... The all-new Thor Corps are coming, and it's also the Thor Core, if you pronounce words correctly. Um, <laughs> in Immortal Thor number five, Marvel released the solicit. Uh, Marvel solicits will probably come out, the full ones, next week. So prepare for tons of little bits of news throughout the week next week, including this one, which kicks things off. Al Ewing seems to be bringing Storm on to the Thor Core, uh, as well as Loki, Betty Ray Bill, and Jane Foster Thor. I guess he has to get a team together to fight this giant storm king god thing. The gods behind gods sort of thing. Um, um, yeah. I mean, after after Immortal Hulk, I'll, I guess I'll just let Al Ewing mm. just do whatever he wants. Like, mm-hmm. is that, I think that's a fair... Oh, for sure. on the surface, I'm like, oh, a team of all Thors, like, that'll be... Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh, I, now I know who's doing it. So maybe I should just keep my mouth shut and see how weird it gets. X-Men Red has been really good, too. And he and he's doing some cool things with Storm yeah. in that book. So it'd be funny if he just, like, has Storm in all his books <laughs> going forward. He, like, takes over Spider-Man and, like, Storm is just, like, there. Storm is the new Spider-Man. Yeah, oh, why not? Sure. <laughs> Let him get as weird as he wants. Yeah, I mean, that's what comics are for. Right. Or there's another way. <laughs> it's not just Goofy. It's also Broody. And what's more broody than The Vengeance of Moon Knight, which was announced for January. Uh, Jed McKay and Alessandro Capuccio are continuing on their Moon Knight run, but with a new title and new number one, which you know will be legacy numbering. This is not a new book, guys. This is just Moon Knight repackaged with a new title. Uh, this is spinning, of course, out of however Moon Knight dies. It's, it's, it's so funny talking about solicit news because it's like, the story about Moon Knight dying hasn't even started hasn't yet. Hasn't happened yet. And we, we're now talking about what happens after he dies. Takes a little bit of the wind out of your sails. Don't worry, guys. He's 1,000% going to die. There's no <laughs> uh, twist ending. This man is dead. You'll watch him die. Enjoy, kids. The solicit says, Clad in the black of morning, the midnight mission remains. But who is left to keep the faith? And how have they been changed by the Black Spectre's master stroke. So maybe Mark's dead and I don't know. Who knows? We'll find out. <laughs> I I loved this run of Moon Knight. I mm. think it's been great. It's done some interesting things to try and like push the character into some new territories and try and glean some new understandings. And uh, I, I'm automatically sort of apprehensive of like, well, let's kill a hero and like that'll be a nice way to like jumpstart a series but i think here it it feels like it's a bigger continuation of what they've been trying to do since day one which is Mm -hmm. you know explore that whole midnight mission concept and what does it mean and how deep does it go Mm -hmm. it's also one of the only marvel series that's gone past like 15 issues um yeah which is rare these days so obviously it's selling well um when we had jed mckay on the show two months ago three months ago we talked about how like impressive it was how far he's taken this character it's a huge deal it is i mean the only other person that i can think of that's 
really good at that is Benjamin Percy, who's got X Force, Wolverine, and yeah, they're all in the like upper thirties, lower forties. X Force is about point. to hit fifty, which is just insane. To me. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, Wolverine's at like thirty-seven or thirty-eight, I think. Yeah, it's it's really impressive, and you know, it's, it's sort of sad that it's impressive. To be honest, I kind of wish <laughs> yeah, books just freaking. It should it shouldn't yeah. be that big of a deal, but it's a huge deal. Yeah. As a classic, you know, as since we both grew up with comics, you know, seeing, you know, Amazing Spider-Man, you know, 369 or whatever, it was like, damn, like, this is, I'm reading history. Now it's like, oh, yeah. Spider-Man number one, this is started. This is for the kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which, uh, I mean, there's something to that, but mm. it, yeah, I mean, it, it just makes like feats like this all the more impressive. Right. Yeah. It just And it goes to show you that if the sales are there, it'll continue. Yeah. Uh, and speaking of sales, Star Wars, boy, howdy, does that make money? <laughs> Actually, I think, um, yeah, that was the weakest of all your transitions. Oh, please. I don't know if you've been listening to the show because I don't even do transitions anymore. I only do them for you now. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, wow. Uh, Ahsoka's uh, first episode or no, I don't know. It was one of the episodes. I think it was the first one had like 18 million views. Disney plus was bragging about. So, wow. you know, there's a couple Star Wars fans out there who like Darth Vader. Only Darth Vader. But uh, Marvel um, revealed their next Star Wars Visions one-shot by Takashi Okazaki. Uh, this is a series of one-shots taking place in basically brand new universes. It looks like this one's taking the reins of what was already in the Star Wars Visions um, short, uh, where there's like a samurai, Jedi, uh, and a, <laughs> an R2-D2 with a straw hat for a head, which is just great. <laughs> Um, it's cool. It's kind of it's it's kind of fascinating to me. Like they're they're selling this as if it's a one shot, but it's a series of one shots. Like I don't know. I guess it's they got their ducks in a row, and they have cool creators like Peach Momoko doing one of these each month. So I don't know. I'm all for like alternate storytelling, but yeah, yeah. I I, I feel like there's there's this whole legion of Star Wars fans who are very adamant that they don't want change mm -hmm. which more power to you but i think like stuff like this shows that there's so much like lateral space to get weird with a star wars story mm -hmm. like you can pretty you can put you know a ronin uh, r2d2 and it still kind of makes sense or it still fits it's still applicable mm. just given uh, i don't know what a star wars story is meant to be and not how mm -hmm. it sort of looks and I, I i think it's interesting and i'm I do like that multiple one-shot approach because I think, yeah, let's if we're going to get weird, let's get really weird and tell a bunch of different stories by different creators every single month. On the business side, too, it's smart. Like, just slap that on your buy pile, right? Um, I'll try this. Yeah. And then next month, yeah, there's a not? new artist and new creators. So it's like, if I didn't like the last one, maybe I'll like this one. Yeah, exactly. You can have your cake and eat it, too, because then you can just collect it as a trade paperback, too. <laughs> there you go. When you get into the business, the business side of things, all the um, the beauty just fades away. You realize <laughs> that this goes away, and you're like, "Oh, this is just a cash grab." This is cool. a cash machine. Cha ching, cha ching. There is no art here. <laughs> These aren't. This isn't the art you're looking for. <laughs> ah, look at that. Pretty uh, good, right? Pretty good, right? Pretty good. I uh, I showed off my skill just like Federica Manson did for the Marvel Art Atelier program in France. This is a program that uh, I kind of forgot about, um, but 
essentially they were the best of the best in this training program of artists mentored by Giuseppe Camacoli, Olivia Coppel, um, Peach Momoko, Natasha Bustos, uh, and they are going to be drawing Miles Morales Spider-Man number 11. Um, it's interesting. Uh, basically, Marvel has like a training program that I, DC um, has kind of been bragging about. They've had one for a couple of years now. Scott Snyder, I think, taught yeah. the first one. Um, this one flew under the radar a little bit for me because I, I don't, maybe they just don't brag about it enough, but it's cool to be, to see a, one of the people in this program then getting work. So it's like a viable opportunity to kind of break into comics. Yeah, I, I think it's great. I mean, I don't think that they've made a big deal about it, which I think is kind of cool. Yeah. Um, I think it just, it takes maybe some of the pressure off. And so that when they, when they do come out, you're like, oh, here's the, you know, here's the issue I did, or here's, you know, some of the art. I think it makes it feel like a bigger deal. And I I love the pages that um, I've seen so far. And yeah, it's on, uh, yeah, you go to comics.com and look up Federica. And there you go. You'll be able to see the art yourself. And the fact that it's not just like, oh, we trained them and then maybe they'll get a book. It's like, there is kind of like a pipeline oh. there of you're in the program. Now you get a book, even if it's that one issue, I think it legitimizes the program and, mm-hmm. Mm, you know that's well said shows people that like hey there's there's some follow-through here and like we genuinely care about how are we kind of developing talent Mm -hmm. and you get to go to disneyland paris there you go that's where it takes place which i heard is the second best disneyland in the world yes what's the first i don't know if that's true i just made that the original i've never been to disneyland (laughs) ever i've been to six flags oh well then you know about the dancing old man <laughs> of myth, of course. There's Thor and then the weird dancing old man. <laughs> the weird dancing old man. <laughs> um, but something about the program I want to point out, which is fascinating to me, is that it's they were be, they were given themed challenges, including a 24-hour draw one comics page challenge. So it's not just like, can you draw Spider-Man good? It's also, can you work in the industry? Because you do have to be fast in order to yeah. be able to work in, especially superhero comics that are monthly or even bi-weekly. Yeah. So yeah, uh, congrats to Federica. I'm looking forward I, to the yeah. career. Also, I'm looking forward to the career of uh, Luis Simonson. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of her. She's an up-and-coming writer that is going to be writing Power Pack into the Storm. And uh, no, I'm just kidding, of course. Uh, Luis is uh, obviously storied uh, x-men writer currently writing gene gray and yeah they're celebrating power pack's 40th anniversary this january uh with a miniseries were you a big uh, power pack kid i i was not um i i like the idea that they're i don't know how popular they are but i like the fact that they're they're getting recognition for being 40 years old and for having that i think it it shows that you know these even smaller events like this, even something, you know, a smaller celebration like this, it still has value. And I know that there's lots of people who are probably like you who sort of grew up with Power Pack and like they're still fond memories, even yeah. though, you know, maybe they're not as big a stars as some other some other folks. Well, they're they're good because they're a pack, you see. And then... <laughs> and a pack is better than one. You get a pack of kids, but you only get one Spider-Man. Right? Or two. It pales by comparison. If yeah. there was a Spider-Man pack, now we could talk. Yeah. But Different imagine story. if Marvel just had like a month of pack, adding packs to things? Yeah. Sort of like Spider-Boy and the sidekick thing? Yeah. 
I love Spider Boy. I can't wait. Uh, yeah, there was an <laughs> unlettered preview released on Friday. Go check that out on abcomics.com. Yeah. I, I, I know it's a bit silly, and I know, you know, there's a lot of haters, and I hate them too, but <laughs> <laughs> I think that... We don't like you. Yeah, no, uh, in Amazing Spider-Man, I think 31, the big, uh, the big uh, exercise issue with the backups, there is a short with Spider-Boy's villain being introduced, essentially, and there's this villain who, like, collects monsters, and they also, like, allude to the fact that, like, Rhino and Scorpion may have some sort of ties to this person, but... They basically 100% we're totally off topic, but we've 100% confirmed Spider Boy is actually a monster. He's not just like a Spider Man like redux. So that's interesting to me because uh, you know he has fangs and such if he rips his mask off. Actually, I don't even think he has to take his mask off, he just has teeth all the time. I think it's yeah, I think his fangs come out through that's, his mask. That's weird. His mouth hole. I don't know. That's not believable. No, nah, throw it out. <laughs> no, pass. <laughs> Man who could stretch to a mile long? That's believable. Nope. Yeah, I got that. Uh, moving on to some exclusive AIPT news. We had the the drop on Mad Cave Studios' new series, Charred Remains. It's coming out in December. It's a horror thriller featuring a dark entity called The Fireman. What? Anthony Cleveland's writing. Andrea Muti is drawing. Uh, so let's see here. Let me read you this list really quick. A dark entity made of fire, smoke, and ash called Fireman blazes through a young girl's home, killing her entire family. Aww. Amy Durant swear... <laughs> <laughs> swears she saw the supernatural creature, but no one ever believed her. Jerks. Eventually, um, I'm adding words, by the way. It's not explicit. Unfortunately, these past fears reignited a decade later as her city goes up in flames. With no one else to rely on, Amy is forced to battle both past trauma and, face, and the face of the Inferno. So it sounds kind of like maybe slasher-esque like there's a monster that the girl has to grow older and kill like halloween maybe is that halloween no kind of there was one of those i don't know i i love that idea i think it's fire is terrifying Mm. um let's make it a monster let's make it a proper monster Mm -hmm. for sure uh and then in some image comics news talking about monster bodies Bloodrick is coming out. It's a three-issue series coming out December tw- starting December 2023. Uh, Andrew Andrew Kronke, uh, ha- in his quote in the press release, basically said he's been working on this for years, but finally sat down and drew this book. It's basically a Viking thriller, but it's also t- getting into the psychology of the character. Um, I'm all for you know muscles bursting out of a guy who <laughs> is in the wilderness trying to survive. That's what I'm looking for in a comic. <laughs> it makes me think of that. Um, what's that one cartoon about the caveman? Like I can't remember the name of it. But He-Man? It feels no. He's no, <laughs> it's more recent. Oh. Regardless, I'm. Uh, I don't remember. Um, but it, it's yeah. Show show me big muscle clad dude murdering for survival, and I'm on board. I don't know what else you need. There's something appealing about a person wearing almost no clothes, like laying in snow, not being cold. Like how, what? <laughs> I'm sorry, your muscles don't make you warmer. I mean, they do on some <laughs> scale. There's like, but like, right? You'd still get frostbite. If you go to, I, yeah, just... if you go to aptcoms.com, there's a preview and he's holding uh, a rabbit, a raccoon, dead raccoon, yeah. uh, a, a hawk on his shoulder, an owl on his shoulder with arrows through them, a wolf, a deer. I don't know what's happening. He's the king of the woods. That's all that matters. Yeah, he's the new beast man. Mm-hmm. Except that he murders his beast friends instead of 
New Beastman, I like it. Yeah. And if we're talking old Beastman, Hellboy Winter Special, the oh. Yule Cat, was announced for December. Every year, Dark Horse, and of course, Mike Mignola uh, put out a holiday special for Hellboy, and it seems to be working for them because it, it continues to be happening. Um, this one is written and drawn by Matt Smith with colors by Chris Hall-Harrelin and letters by Clem Robbins. Um, I didn't even know of the Yule Cat, but apparently it's like uh, the Krampus, but a giant cat that eats babies that are bad. <laughs> Kids that are, are bad that year. Why is there in like every culture just weird thing of like, if you're not good, we're going to eat you. Yeah. Like, why is... We'll feed you to the monster. Yeah. It's just, it's for the parents that don't know how to parent. Like the Yule yeah. Cat is their like backup plan. <laughs> it's from Icelandic folklore. Just be a good kid or... I'll kill you myself and you won't get any Christmas presents. I mean, look at that's a tactic. It might work. It I could also it. get you put in jail. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, speaking of dudes with their shirts off, uh, Slash <laughs> of Guns N' Roses shout. Wait, wait. Yeah. Redo that again because I think there's almost something there. Oh, you mean redo the joke? Yes. <laughs> dudes without shirts. Uh-huh. What about speaking of... Yeah. Uh, Shirtless dudes who have made packs with the devil. Aha. Because the Yule Cat does? Yeah. Yes. I see. Interesting connection. Just making up your own folklore at this point. Why not? Because, I mean, let's be honest. Slash is American folklore. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. At this point. So, uh, Vault, Shout, and Raven Entertainment and Slash, (laughs) so many people involved with this project, are, are adapting Deathstalker. It's going to be a Kickstarter first. Uh, it's not yet live, but uh, they promise that they will be putting this out in single issue format and then in trade paperback collected format down the line. But Slash is essentially like the presenter. They call him presented by Slash. So I said to you off air, I think he's going to pull the Stan Lee move and be like, Excelsior, I am Slash. Ka-ding! That's a guitar. Welcome to <laughs> Deathstalker. <laughs> I-, I hope it's like, it sounds like it's more than there was some book that like Oscar Isaac co-produced yes, with Christian uh, Ward. Ex- yes, mm-hmm. it's a great book, but like I don't know what a producer is in a comic book, so I hope it's more. Yeah, even if it's just like slashes are, you know, rock and roll mascot mm-hmm. for this rock and roll Deathstalker book. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, it could be he's like, like you said, producer, aka the money. That's backing it, yeah. Mm. Or just, yeah, just the face of it all, which is fine. Like, yeah, you, you can't actually see his face, but that's fine. Makes me wonder how they'll integrate him in because Stephen Kostansky is actually coming up with the idea and story. Um, and you might know him from the classic film Psycho Gorman. <laughs> I love that movie so much. It's so good. I can't wait for his next film, actually, just because of that movie. That's so good. Uh, D- uh, Tim Steele is actually going to be writing this story. Uh, so obviously, multi-part. Uh, you know, people are there's multiple people involved in this, and then Jim Terry is drawing. Um, I f- I don't know. Is there a date yet for when the Kickstarter goes live? October. We don't have a specific yeah. date, but October the Kickstarter will go live, and you can back it. I'm sure there'll be some crazy. Ooh, what if there's like a meat slash tier for five thousand dollars? Oh my god. Are you excited? Play play Slash's guitar for six grand. There you go. Or go on tour with Guns N' Roses and be their groupie. 
Yeah. Oh, that's, <laughs> you'd have to pay me at that point. Imagine the people who agreed to it before they got to the last word of that sentence. <laughs> Wouldn't be good for them. Like, I didn't read all of the sentence, but I read the first 90%. <laughs> exactly. I signed the contract anyway. Yeah. Uh, it's cool that there's uh, a new offering from Vault like this. I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm in support of Vault Comics. They don't put a ton of books out, and that's because they're small. But with deals like this, you're going to continue to grow and be able to give creators more opportunities. So all, all the power to them and teaming yeah. up with multiple sources to get this thing out. And small runs or small numbers of books per year is, is fine. Like, put out what you can handle and what you can pay people. Mm-hmm. Do you think Deathstalker will be the new Berserker? <laughs> I think Berserker is the new Berserker. Ah, uh, okay. Did you see the news last week? I'm going to bring it up because whatever. If you listen to last week's episode, <laughs> Berserker is going to be uh, doing uh, experiences and food and beverage tie-ins and stuff. Oh, I had not heard that, and I am already concerned. Yeah, I said that they definitely need to put out the Berserker Burger. The Bergzerker. <laughs> Bergzerker. Bergzerker. There you know, you go. It just rolls yeah. off the tongue. That's why it should be. It sure does. Mm-hmm. Moving on to our next segment, our top books of the week. We're going to talk about our top two favorite comics out this week. Chris, what was your second favorite book of the week? Um, I'm gonna have to go with. Oh, I put it's in the wrong order, but you don't know that because you're not reading this. Uh, I'm gonna do Daredevil number one. Um, I think it was. I've made comments in like judging by the cover a few mm. times that like, oh, we're you know we're <laughs> we're talking about this like new era of uh, Daredevil. But the, you know, this is what the second new number one in the last couple of years. And I'm, you know, I'm a little, a little hesitant about that, but I think, you know, you've got Aaron Cooter, you've got Tyler and Ahmad, and I think they did a really great first issue. I love that they kind of really leaned into without spoiling too much, mm. um, you know, the, the Catholic tendencies undertone of, of Matt Murdock and, it's just a really interesting story that I think builds perfectly off kind of what Chip Zdarsky was doing in his really great run or great runs. Um, and it just, it, it gets to the heart of why does Matt Murdock do what he do what he does and what, how does that change? How does he see himself? There's lots of really great threads. Um, and before you even get to the book, I think, I hope, John Romita Jr. is doing more covers because I think the cover to one was was really great. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just, it, it's a book that so far is just firing on every cylinder. And um, I'm excited to see where it goes. I think there's there's lots of directions it can go and lots of really great nuggets to explore. I reviewed it for the site and uh, I gave it a high score. It's it's an exercise issue too. So there's a lot, a lot more mm-hmm. to the story than you might get in a 22-page comic. Yeah. Uh, Cooter's art is insane, right? It's so detailed. It's so good. Yeah. When I interview Chip Zdarsky on October 1st episode of this show, I talk a li- we talk a little bit about this issue and he, spoilers for that show, I guess, <laughs> he talked about <laughs> how he got to read the script and the issue early and said he just loves what Saladin Ahmed's cooking up here. Um, yeah, I think he get, he gets Murdoch like really well and the mm-hmm. contradictions and like the the uncertainty that he's always grappling with. I think that's mm-hmm. it's really, really pertinent in this this issue. For sure. 
Uh, my second favorite book of the week was The Call Number 2 by Kelly Thompson and Matea DeLuis. Um, this is a book we actually talked about with Kelly Thompson a little bit a couple weeks ago on the podcast, but uh, this issue really opens things up uh, to literally to the fantasy world uh, that's being introduced that was not shown at all in the first issue, which was a bold choice. This is a mini series; it's not an ongoing, but we get introduced to these this group of teenagers who are all tight knit, and they've got a lot of dynamics between them. Um, Thompson's dialogue is really good in this, and also the sci-fi aspect is actually kind of talked through. There's some moments that feel really natural, like characters are walking in this magical world they they got to through a cave uh, down on the beach near their house, and they postulate, is it, an, is it a portal to another world? Is it a portal to another multiverse? Uh, it's kind of fun that they're talking this way, because I think with all of us so well-versed in sci-fi jargon, we probably would be too, although I would be too scared to go into this freaking cave, man. What? I'm not going into a cave where the sky is pink? You crazy? I'm going to call the police. That's what I'm going to do. I, I don't think the police can handle <laughs> that kind of thing, Dave. <laughs> That's true. Um, there's a lot of interesting things visually too. The stunning artwork uh, here throughout. There's some interesting creature design too. And uh, there's some sort of pink mist making the kids do crazy stuff, as teenagers would do. Hint, hint, wink, wink. Nudge, nudge. Um, I'm, I'm all for where the story goes. There's a couple of threads that are pulling these characters forward. And yeah, uh, it's an it's a interesting, compelling fantasy that may be the best fantasy of the year. <gasps> Don't quote wow. me on that. Don't quote me on that I, unless you put me on the back of the book, okay? <laughs> if you're interested in my take, I was a little uncertain about yeah. issue one just because yeah. I was like, I... Yeah, I don't know what to make of it. I don't know if this book knows what it is. Yeah, but I think issue number two, it really like this is what we are. This is what it is, and I think it it it, it builds something that like I'm still not certain of, but I think I'm I'm a little more sort of keen to follow. Mm. Whereas after the first issue, I was like, where are we going with this? What's up? Yeah, but I think yeah, this the second one, it it builds up that fantasy part, and I think it's. It's. It, 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 I'm interested to see where this goes, and I hope it gets enough kind of time and space to to mm. do what it needs to do. Yeah, it does a lot in a in a single issue here. Uh, do you think? Here's a theory I have. Do you think the lost brother is like forty or something? <laughs> yeah, like a Jumanji situation. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh yeah, it's yeah. actually Robin Williams. It's the uh, the big. Yeah, dance. it is. It's just yeah. Or no, sorry, The Rock. If you're a certain age. Uh, yeah, if you're. <laughs> Born after 1997. Right. But who cares about that? What's your favorite book of the week? Um, my favorite book of the week was uh, Batman Gargoyle of Gotham, mm. issue number one. Oh, I've heard yes. of that. You, have, you may have heard of that. Mm. And it's by this small, uh, unknown DC character publisher. by the name of Batman. Yeah. By this little book publishing outfit called DC. They're doing a lot of really interesting things. No, I mean, I just, like for a really long time, I was like, I think that the whole black label thing has been kind of hit or miss to an extent. I think mm. that there's been some good stories, but I think that there's been just as many, like, why why was this given the green light? But I think like um, this, this whole thing is just like, Raphael Grandpa's just like baby and he takes care of this book in so many different ways and it's just this really sort of wonderfully 
potent bit of noir. I was talking to somebody that I I mentioned of like this is what like Frank Miller was trying to do with like All Star Batman and Robin, like that kind of overt kind of over the top, super moody, super noir kind of thing, but just done really really well and like with respect to mm. what kind of Batman is and what he could do and there's all these little sort of threads kind of you know represented in, in the first issue that i think are really interesting i don't want to spoil too much because i think discovering kind of some of those is is a lot of the fun but there's just it's just such a great book and that's not even mentioning just how visually beautiful it is there's so many so amazing detailed. moments yeah yeah like he he's everything from like the, the look of the city to the kind of like tweak of batman's um suit oh, just, so cool looking like the neck yeah, part it's amazing <laughs> yeah i love that neck part even like the belt which is yeah. kind of like weird and clunky like just works mm-hmm. so it's just such a great book and i'm just i'm so excited to see what happens i don't usually buy superhero comics but i had to get this yesterday um yeah yeah the, the visuals are just so good grandpa's uh done a batman before i think actually yes. miller wrote it and he drew it um, I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the art's so good that they put out a noir black and white edition of this, too. So <laughs> yeah. they know the art's going to sell this book on top of the cool, twisted story that he's doing with Gotham. Yeah. Speaking of twisted story, I really like Children of the Vault number two by Dennis Camp and Luca Maresca. This issue is just packed with lots of stuff. <laughs> the data pages do a really good job of basically explaining the children of the vaults point of view because of thousands or millions. I can't even tell you how many years they've been sitting in this, basically this bunker where their time is moving faster than it is on earth. And they have some ideas about what to do with humanity. Uh, and in throughout this issue, we basically find out some people want to murder everybody. Some people want to mate with everybody and some people want to give us a chance and by the end of the issue, uh, we find out what they decided on. And Cable is and Bishop are some of the only mutants left because of what happened at the Hellfire Gala to actually stop or even at least maybe steer uh, these characters away from destroying Earth and all of its people. Um, this issue also has an incredible montage where we just get to see like event caliber things happening and these characters are stopping them and gaining the trust of the people. Uh, including like Marvel zombies show up in a panel. Uh, I always love it when that happens because it feels like the writer and artists are just going all in. They're not holding back like a lot of comics do these days, especially with superhero comics, where they're like, oh, this is a six-issue story, whereas sometimes like this book could have been a whole six issues in just this book. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of interesting things going on in this, not to mention Cable being a badass, uh, interrogating this dude who... Uh, you know, gets the short end of the stick by the end. But, you know, that's how Cable has to roll when times are tight. Mutants are in danger. <laughs> I will say about this book that I, I I didn't read it super carefully, the first two issues, but I, I get the sense of, like, kind of what you were saying of all this stuff with the Hellfire Gala and just mm. kind of Krakoa and in general is kind of weird. And I think they're really leaning into what does that open up for us in terms of storytelling and like, right, right. how what, what can we do? Like how far can we push it? And I think that they're, yeah, they're, they're living up to that credo of like, let's, let's be a little sort of groundbreaking. Let's do something that feels 
like it honors the spirit of kind of this moment in, in X-Men. Whether you're, you know, a huge fan of it all or not, I think there's no denying that, you know, it, it was a weird time. So let's let's get big and bold with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the Children of the Vault aren't like the most, you know, historied backstory yeah. kind of thing. You can kind of do almost anything with these characters. Yeah, they're still new-ish, even though they've been around, I think, yeah. for a a few years but i mean yeah fresh enough in people's head to like you don't they're not really defined to an extent and because they they have like thousands of years taking place they could change quite <laughs> yeah. a bit when you open the vault and find out what they're what they're up to now <laughs> uh and they're weird too I and mean, there's a weirdness to it that i think mutants sometimes lack with some eras or story arcs you know, you've got the clean-cut Colossus standing there with Wolverine who looks... You know, I want a weird-looking mutant that has a crazy weird... <laughs> Let's go crazy. Right. I mean, we're seeing that in X-Men Red, too. The mutants of Arako are like... There's like a dude with a giant brain in the issue this week who's just like laying on the yeah. ground. You're like, what's that guy do? <laughs> like I said, let's get let's get super kooky with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, I think Dennis Camp's going to be a huge star going forward. Yeah. Possibly at the big two. We'll see. Moving on to our next segment, where Chris has to help me say, stand out. Kapow. Moment of the week. This is our favorite panel or page of the week. This basically allows us to talk about another book that we didn't talk about yet. <laughs> um, my favorite moment comes from Incredible Hulk number four by Philip Kennedy Johnson, Travel Foreman. Um, you know what? Let me share this with you, Chris, so you can see it while I talk about it. Wow. I won't be sharing anything with you because I'm technologically inept. Your book didn't come out this week, so you might need to pick another book. Oh, no, I'm going to scramble. Oh, okay. no, I already got something. Okay, cool. Uh, I'll cut that. <laughs> uh, my favorite page comes from this this moment. No, don't where... cut it. I'm, I'm not going to let you cut it. Oh, I'm going to own up me being an idiot. No, it's fine. Hey, You're everybody. The guy. No, don't do my it. My name is Chris Copeland, and I'm dumb. <laughs> the next 45 minutes, we just argue about this. Um, <laughs> so... Bruce Banner is being chased by Man-Thing and he's like, dude, what the hell are you doing? And then Man-Thing eats him. (laughs) And then Hulk bursts out of Man-Thing. First, a giant hand. He grabs a hold of his head with his fingers in between his weird freaking bubbly red eyes and rips his head off his own body from inside his body with sound effects a, a, a plenty, these sprecks and c- cracks. He's ripping apart Man Thing from the inside. How badass and weird and fucking twisted is this? It is like the best moment of the book. And, you know, we all know Man Thing will grow back, but uh, <laughs> the next scene, actually, it's kind of an interesting little twist you don't see coming as far as uh, where they commune. But anyway, um, if you go to amputeecomics.com, go to this podcast post, you can see this art in full. It's pretty damn cool. Um, I enjoy body horror. That's all I have to add before I, I say my thing. Yeah, the series has been good at keeping the body horror up uh, post-Immortal Hulk, which, of course, I don't think anyone will top how yeah. grotesque that book got. For big no two, one anyway. will ever touch that, which mm-hmm. is fine, which is great. Like that's I think the, that's the legacy of that book is it made people want to vomit. How much nightmare fuel do you need in your life? More. That's what I'm gonna say when I'm getting married. That's gonna be my vows. <laughs> How much of a horror do you need? Uh, yeah, 
Uh, do you, David? How much nightmare fuel do you really need? Yeah. I do. <laughs> anyway, what's your favorite moment of the, of the week? Uh, so I'm going to have to go with, um, even though I already touched on Gargoyle of Gotham. Okay. Uh, you could literally pick, I think, any of that entire book. Mm-hmm. But there's a scene um, where Batman, and I won't spoil sort of why he's in this situation, but he there's he kind of walks in front of a, a projector screen and he has this like weird old-timey cartoon that's really important to the plot that I won't talk about too much that's sort of projected on his cape. And it's such like the amount of detail and the amount of like textures that you can sort of feel and see is like amazing. And I think it's just like, it, it speaks to the, the depth, the dedication, like the inventiveness that Grandpa's was trying to do with this book. And it's just like, it was one of those things where like, I had to kind of put the, I had to put the book down for a second and just kind of like walk away. Cause I was like, this is like, it's and and it made me feel like this is something that's really sort of new and novel, but that I think connected back to, you know, the character sort of origins of being this kind of like creature of the night, like noiry kind of thing. And it's just, it's like such a powerful moment, and it's very small. And there's other things that are kind of bigger and bolder and bloodier, but this is just like, you're like, wow, like this is something really special. Nice. Yeah, this the art is so dynamic. Yeah, it's like, yeah. Yeah, I dig it. Great pick, man. Thanks. Moving on to our next segment, Top Books for Next Week. We're going to talk about our most anticipated comic out next week. I can't wait for Wonder Woman number one, even though I already reviewed it this morning. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Tom King, Daniel Samper are taking over the series. And damn, man, it gets political. It touches on xenophobia. It touches on on chauvinism and, and sexism and uh, you know toxic masculinity, uh, and also Wonder Woman gets to use all of her cool abilities like throwing a freaking tiara at people, which I think we've already seen in the preview. <laughs> How does that thing work as a boomerang if it's not shaped like a boomerang? I guess it's just magic. David, it's magic. As we saw with the uh, advanced preview, or I think it was a preview in the eight hundredth issue. Somehow Diana is going to have a daughter and she has like multiple lassos, which is fascinating to me. I don't know Wonder Woman lore enough to know if those are brand new ideas or if those were used before, but I'm all for what these two are doing with this book. Um, It feels really pertinent and it feels really American. Okay. So like one might argue Wonder Woman is basically the Captain America of DC on some scale, or maybe I should say it the other way around. I forget. I actually, I think Captain America came first. Anyway, She's not like, you know, obviously she's an Amazonian and she comes from Themyscira, uh, but uh, she wears red, white, and blue, and she stands for, uh, you know, truth. And I think, I think in a way, uh, Tom King is kind of trying to get at that with this book, which is fascinating to me. Anyway, yeah. pick it up. I think everybody will. It, uh, the pre-orders are probably insane. I, I will say this, that I there was somebody on Twitter reacting to the book of like, oh, it's this, it's very woke and blah, 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 or people who aren't <laughs> going to like this. And I was just like, great, I'm all for, if there's like, if you're telling me a cross segment of people are just going to initially hate this book, like, mm. then I know that, you know, King and company are, are going to do really good work and yeah, talk about some things that need exactly. to be talked about that mm-hmm. are going to make some people uncomfortable, which is great. 
that's if there's there's no better vehicle for that i mm-hmm. think than than diana it's not even preachy either like take from it what you will yeah so, yeah yeah <laughs> honestly it boils down to don't be a jerk have a little more empathy even oh though God, there is yeah. clearly like a political hinge to it it's just like don't don't be a jerk it's really hard for some people in this world unfortunately so, yeah right <laughs> empathy why uh, i want your peanut butter why? jelly sandwich <laughs> throws your peanut butter jelly sandwich into the sand you can't have it this uh short story brought to you by david brooke <laughs> <laughs> what are you most anticipating uh green lantern war journal number one um i got to interview philip kennedy johnson about it he i the respect and I think reverence that he has for John Stewart is like clear. And that's like a really, I think a really big part about that. Um, and he kind of wants to make John Stewart, I think a lantern for a new generation. Like I, I read the books, but I never really like resonated with like how Jordan or, you know, Kyle Rayner um, or even Guy Gardner before, but I think his portray his portrayal of, of John in, in, in this first issue, like, and he makes him really important and he shows like how multifaceted is. He shows how kind of a complex character this is. And I think he does all these really great things. And it's also just a really good story about, you know, family and grappling with, you know, your responsibilities and trying to sort of focus on the things that are important in life and the people that matter and, and maybe being a hero kind of comes second to that. And I just, there's so many different threads here that I think that he just makes he makes a really good case for John Stewart being like kind of a really important lantern when I, I don't think he's always gotten that kind of treatment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, he's definitely it's a lot of people's favorite, but yeah, it's usually Hal or Kyle, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm looking forward to reading that too. I haven't read that one yet. Um, yeah. Really great. And you have an inside track on, go check out that interview. It's really good. Inside track on what Johnson's working on. Yeah. Moving on to our next segment, judging by the cover, Junior. That was my Orville Peck. Oh, yeah, I was going to say I like the way you say that. <laughs> we talk about our favorite cover art out next week because this show isn't just about stories and writing. This is about art too, guys. Come on. I can't get enough of Wonder Woman number one by Giuliano Totino Tedesco. This is a variant cover, of course. It's going to be a cardstock cover, so it'll probably cost a little bit more. I'm so sorry I picked it. But uh, we've got... Uh, Wonder Woman riding a goddamn kangaroo and loving life, man. Um, oh, oh, I picked that one too for the actual judging. Which judging? This week coming out on Monday. Oh, you did? Oh, nice, nice, nice. Yeah. Oh, the actual kangaroo, and I was like, the kangaroo. Judging. Yeah, dude. Uh, the kangaroo has a name. Uh, I forget the name though. But Jumpa. Is it nice? Jumpa. The joy That's... in Wonder Woman's face, like she's right. having the most fun. Kangaroo is like straight up, like we go fast now, and uh, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're running. She's like, I don't somehow flying through this. The clouds behind her are like Greek or yeah, Greek statues and like a Parthenon type building. It really brings the vibe of like her culture to the forefront while she super is having fun. She's got like her classic starred uh dress which is cool too and the flow of the um, dress really adds a lot of energy also there's a bit of flow to the hair um there's a lot of good energy in this and just yeah i, I it just put, brings a smile to my face 
Yeah, I, I love it. I, I can't really add much more than that. And I think it's, I think people are going to see something like that and be like, that's kind of dumb. But like, mm. it's one of those things of, there's like a history and a reason for this cover. And it speaks to something about the character and her kind of grand canon. And um, it's also just cool looking. So mm-hmm. that to me feels kind of like a nice encapsulation of the book. Mm. Well said. Now, since you uh, manage and run and write the Judging by the Cover segment on AIPTcomics.com every Monday, is your pick technically the best of the best this week? Yes. <gasps> Spoilers. I, I think it's it's definitely like a highlight for me. Cool. Which if I if I think about it as like the cover art for that feature, mm. which it is, then I I it. it speaks most to me i did uh hexagon bridge number one from uh richard blake um i've i've read this book and i i think it's great but i i just love like the cover itself it's pretty kind of bare bones but i think that image just has so much power it's just sort of like this weird abstract geography with these like seemingly magical interdimensional kind of rock structures floating around and i think it, it it makes me feel like at peace, but also kind of uncomfortable. And it's just like, it's just this weird book about, there it is. Um, it's just this weird, but kind of magical book about the, the kind of the way the world works and the way it operates and our place in it. And I just, there's so much depth and attention to this. And I think it just like, it creates this aesthetic that it, it's really worth exploring and uh, yeah i i can't say more nice things about kind of this book and and what that represents for this world and and the story and Hmm. how that kind of approach just is so great to kind of see being played out and it builds kind of this story core and you know what happens kind of from these images and these kind of moments is 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 really cool and interesting yeah, the scale of the buildings behind all this yeah. rubble is like epic, right? Yeah. They're, they're not on the ground here. They're floating with these massive rocks and roots and maybe a lantern light just, thing. Yeah, like junk noise. Yeah, junk and just random stuff from the street, I guess. But An image like this, like, but it was Magneto, like would sell <laughs> so many X-Men comics. <laughs> yeah. Good pick. I like it a lot. Yeah, it's cool too. The the cover treatment too. It's not just the art. There's a like a border and there's a title, of course. But then it's like a piece of art inside the cover. Yeah, uh, which is really neat. It gives it a almost um, like a prose, you know, cover instead of just a comic yeah. cover. Pretty neat. Definitely original. <clears throat> well, that's it for that segment. In our last segment, join us as Scott Hoffman joins the show. Talk all about WAG, new comics originals. So I'm with us is Scott Hoffman. Scott, uh, WAG number one's out now from Comicsology. It's a Comicsology Originals. Thank you so much for being on the AAPT Comics Podcast. Thanks for having me. Uh, we got to read the first issue, of course, and we both highly enjoyed it. I'm, I'm really excited yeah. to see where the story goes. Thank you. And WAG is the kind of story that feels fully realized right out of the gate. Uh, how long has the project been in the works? And Tell us about what, it, what it's about. Yeah, so uh, WAG was the first thing I wrote. Uh, we were chatting a little oh, wow. bit before uh, you hit record, but mm-hmm. uh, Phil Jimenez was a, a big uh, 
a big factor in getting uh getting me writing and getting me started in uh in uh uh realizing a dream of mine that I've had for a long time which was to write write uh fiction write mm-hmm. possibly prose but comics were also big on my list um and and uh during the pandemic Phil asked me if I would join a uh, writing group with him and another friend of ours I think he wanted some accountability. He was working on Historia at the time, and um, he was really – I mean, we're, we're a little tangent here, but it's always good to hear these <laughs> nuggets, I guess. I mean, he was just really bogged down in details, details. I mean, you know that book is just like insanely, insanely detailed and mm-hmm. uh, and labor-intensive. So he was deep in it and really wanted to, to um, have check-ins and get some opinions on stuff as he was going along. and. I was like, okay, cool, but I don't really know what I'd write because I've always wanted to write and I just never could figure it out. And mm-hmm. um, that's what sort of came out of that. And it was right at the beginning of the pandemic. I was thinking a lot about uh, a lot about the world we were living in. I guess that's what a lot of science fiction does. And what I love about a lot mm-hmm. of science fiction is, you know, you can look back to to, to um, you know the classics and say like, well, it doesn't necessarily feel like a future I'd expect now, but it says mm-hmm. a lot about the world that was uh, that uh, that existed around the time it was written. So yeah, that's where I was with Wagon, just kind of looking at the landscape and looking at the uh, at my fears and kind of my interests as well. Yeah, I one of the things that really struck me about Wag is that early moment where our lead notices the door is open and then just kind of steps out into the unexpected. And I find that the book is less about what happened and more about what's next. Do you do you find the end of the world stories to be a little more interesting when you're not bogged down in a bunch of exposition? Yeah, I mean, uh, I had to get beaten up a little bit for something to happen <laughs> in my stories. Uh, uh-huh. You know, I have two two big fans of the medium that uh, I was on a sort of workshop with when I was developing this, and I I love I love the landscape. I love kind of sitting in the 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 internal world and all that. Mm-hmm. And I just realized um, I say it's kind of like uh, performing with my band. You know, I was in a band mm-hmm. for a few years. Is the whole the whole thing. Uh, my 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 other life and uh we would we would have these songs and we we'd play them in the studio and we were giving each other high fives like it's the most amazing thing and you go out and play it for an audience and like dead dead room you know and it's just like there's nothing I, like that that direct reaction right? i know that well <laughs> you know it well yeah um so so you know you don't get to make you don't get to choose what the uh what 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 excites the reader and what i think i noticed was playing back and forth along with my my cohorts in this writing group was that mm-hmm. uh they love the action they love the intrigue they love the kind of, i love the idea of these puzzles that you're sort of putting together that you slowly mm-hmm. reveal and so that that got more and more fun as i went along mm-hmm. and um i do love that idea of this story just sort of exploding as out out of the gate did you find that the pandemic really influenced getting that story moving quickly. Like I, I I feel like when WAG first steps outside, it's sort of that same feeling as when we lockdowns lifted and we step outside in the sun and we're like, okay, what is this world? What are we, what am I rejoining now? Well, that's funny because it was early, earlier in the pandemic that this was really written and Mm -hmm. it was all about my fear of stepping out into the world as it existed there. Um, the big question for me was, uh, you know, thinking a lot about 
tropes. I love I love the classic tropes. I don't think there's a lot of escaping the classic tropes when you're writing. Yeah. But, you know, we live we live in the postmodern, as they say. You know, everything is referential. Everything sure. is everything is a meme of a meme of a meme. So like, you know, we <laughs> have this real. like. <laughs> Nothing is of that that too, by the way, which uh, you'll get into later in the series, maybe. Ooh. But um, you know, no, nah, I mean, a, a hint of it, maybe. But um, you know, I think that's a big question in his mind: is what what is real? But yeah. um, you know, you you sort of like um, have have these these fears when those tropes sort of become real, or when you sort of see hints of it in the real world. And my questions were not, uh, you know, necessarily what basement would I hide in if, like the you know the marauders were coming to get my food it was kind of like like what do people do when the medication is gone and and you know i have uh friends who are diabetic i have friends you know with with different issues i've dealt Mm -hmm. with you know depression anxiety myself what do you do when that is suddenly out of the picture and you know i think there's like the the modern idea of or maybe it's the old-fashioned idea of when you don't have these things to help you cope you just cope but some people don't cope and that's just how that's just right. how the world is if you you know if you really uh you know sort of look behind the the curtain at some of the history we're reading there are plenty of people that get left behind because they aren't able to cope and maybe didn't have the 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 medication or the modern yeah. uh the the modern uh, uh science that we have now to to cope so it's like what happens when that's gone and to me it was more the internal world that I was sort of interested in mm-hmm. so yes i mean sorry long, long answer to your uh to a simple question, stepping out into that world was stepping out into the into the uh, the scary unknown of 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 that of that uh, pandemic. World. The world yeah. building here is yeah. truly scary and something I'm afraid of too. <laughs> like the crumbling of society. What do I do next? And like, yeah, yeah. And, great. And, and it's great. So I, I'm glad you're scared. <laughs> oh, excellent. Thank you. No, yeah, I, yeah. I, that was something I really connected to in this in this first issue. I. I in fact, at one point during during early days in pandemic, I, I ran out of my Prozac and I thought, well, I'm more scared of not knowing how this, you know, disease will affect me mm. than I am of of feeling just kind of feeling like shit for a while, you know? And so you, right, do, right. you do sort of like make those deals with yourself like, OK, well, this is just what I'm going to be like now. <laughs> Right. It felt it felt like the imminence of something real. And I think we are a really spoiled society. We're a society that is so used to the creature comforts, so used to those things. Mm-hmm. And again, I look at the tropes. The tropes say a lot about the, the action and the sort of what what um, even some of the real emotional turmoil about losing people and all that can can feel like. But I was just interested in something that was close to my heart, which was which was um, how how do people that are so used to certain things survive mm-hmm. out there? And it was right. a more, again, it was like a more internal um, kind of uh, uh, take on it. But that is how I, you know, I'm, a, I'm an introvert. So I kind of like think of things in those terms. And that to me is what it was. Yeah, for sure. You're working with uh, artist Juan Bobillo on this? Um, Bobillo, I, I, well, I, I should say, I, I, I say it in what I think is the proper yeah. uh, uh uh, pronunciation, but he's in Argentina, and I've never spoken to him in person. Oh yeah! Oh wow! Really? 
Yeah. Or not, no, I shouldn't say. I definitely haven't spoken to him in person. I've never even spoken to him on the phone because he refuses to have a phone. He will not. Oh, wow. I mean, he's kind of maybe in the middle of his own uh, apocalypse, okay. actually, now that I think about it. But yeah. um, he uh, – no, he just chooses not to have a phone. We only email back and oh, forth. Cool. And, uh, right yeah, on. he was he was amazing. Yeah, so Bo, Bo Bios, as I say, Bo but Bio. say it however you want since he's never been there to uh, correct it. I was interviewing Ed Brisson and John Timms about Batman Incorporated, I don't know, six months ago. And – Sure. We, they both enter the Zoom, and Ed is like, "John, nice to meet you on Zoom." So nice to meet you. It was yeah, like yeah, yeah. it blew my mind. Like these guys, it's yeah, crazy. They had like obviously multiple issues under their belts, and they just never even yeah. Anyway, I'll tell you what's super interesting. No, no, no. Sorry, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, interrupt you there because it's super interesting <laughs> that I think there has some there has been something about um, the inability to well I should say the ability to work with people remotely, but also the yeah, inability yeah. to kind of bother each other and be in each other's way. Right, right. I think mm-hmm. artists in particular are probably really happy that they can shut down communication when they need to <laughs> and just get to work because I'm sure plenty of writers, <laughs> including myself, are like, but what if you just did this? What if you just right. like looked at this? And I think sure. like it's actually really benefited the sort of autonomy of those artists out there to mm. really say like – Actually, no. the The lines of communication are down right now. Like, uh, you know, yeah, lo- love what you do, but I'm, I'm, I have to work. I'm doing now. my thing. There's a yeah. lot of yeah. yeah. There's a lot of interesting things going on visually with like layout design. Can you talk about your process working on the project and and how the the visual style comes together? Sure. Um, Juan and I went back and forth a lot with imagery. Um, I sent him a lot of inspiration. Um, what was really fun about Juan, among many things, is that uh, he's completely uh, his own creature. He's not a creature of uh, of of any kind of uh, modern sensibility, or he doesn't really care about mainstream comics. He's done She-Hulk. He's done, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he did Howard the Duck. But it's like they, they all look, they all look like him. They're all they're all like um, they're all really unique. And then I started to realize he has these. Uh, different Instagram accounts when I was sort of looking him up when I first uh, was was researching what he does. It could be completely different people. I mean, maybe it is for all I know. But no, he just has all these different styles. And he's sending me all these things. I'm like, I can't even believe this is the same artist because yeah, right. he likes inhabiting these different these different um, uh, styles. He's, he's, he's incredible. And he's worth really digging into. And unfortunately, some of his uh, – some of his his work is not even in English language. Some of the best stuff I've seen is not mm-hmm. even uh, is not even I think published here. Um, so um, he was sending a lot of stuff back and forth, and I was sending him a lot of like like manga and anime inspiration. I was thinking mm-hmm. about some um, really particular post apocalyptic stuff that I love in that world, um, and uh, you know Evangelion, just some, some even some more like 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 obscure references and there's a there's a little bit of fist of the north star in there i felt like definitely you know what's funny is i hadn't read the, i had only seen the the film years ago yeah. and i was like what i do is i start to like when i'm when i'm in something i want to read similar things a lot of people avoid that but mm. i just kind of like maybe there's things i've missed and maybe there's mm-hmm. things that are going to lead me in certain totally. directions and i and i think the um the female sidekick is named uh, is named Lynn. And I was like, Oh yeah. my God, that's just like so strange, but, <laughs> but whatever, it, it definitely, definitely is in there. And it's just, the more we started to dig, the more it started to develop. And then I just saw him sort of start. And I guess this is his process just start to develop his own voice in it. Mm-hmm. And the one thing I was really adamant about was let's make this a really beautiful future. I'm so tired of seeing, um, 
uh, the gray. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm tired yeah. of seeing like the really the really rusted out, crumbling mm-hmm. futures, which which are all a possibility. But I do um, think there's something about that that enjoyable sort of like faith in nature to kind of take take back the world. Um, yeah. And, and actually, um, I think specifically was trying to really build, build a, a contrast there with, mm-hmm. with, um, maybe where we get later in the book, but I did love that idea of seeing something more, more colorful and, and lively than we had before. And he was, he really seemed to be having a lot of fun with that. So awesome. Go. Yeah. I, I love, uh, I mean, we get a glimpse of this almost, almost fairy tale esque city at the at the end of the first issue and it makes me think like that we we were barely scratching the surface here uh sure. so i'm really excited to see what 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 you guys uh create in the next few um you you touched on this a little bit uh on your music career a little bit earlier but you when you spoke with um chris copeland uh at aipt about nostalgia a little while back um you you talked about how that that book kind of tackles the question of why why are we so obsessed or interested in in rock stars and the and the sort of music life do you find that you're pulling any elements from your time with scissor sisters into wag at all hmm. um it's funny because they feel like i guess when you well, i'm still learning about being a writer but i think you mm-hmm you tend to sort of look at the work you've done and say, am I just telling the same story again and again? Because I've, I've written a lot of scripts since these as well, and a lot hopefully mm-hmm. uh, 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 on the way. But these to me are kind of uh, the same the same person trying to uh, deal with a different perspective on the world, which is maybe what Scissor Sisters was all about. And um, I do talk about the band is is – before anything else really mm-hmm. um, was an exercise in, in world building um, for us. And I know it sounds like it, it, I might be just, uh, you know, bending history to, to, to make that fit, fit this narrative, but it really is not true. We, we, um, we are, are the, it, it's actually true to say that we were trying to create a, a world around what we were doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were, uh, just as much interested in the books and the movies we were, we had uh, bonded over me and Jake, particularly when we first started the band, you know, everything from uh, return to Oz to our favorite horror movies that we loved. And it was all kind of in the music. Um, And I think to me, it's just another way. um, I think, I think when a band matures and things sort of start to change, there starts to be sort of different, different motivations. And, one thing I missed from the later days of the band was the, you know, because there's just so, again, like so many more considerations. Um, you're supposed to make pop songs. You're supposed to make stuff that, you know, is, uh, is going to connect with people, connect with a greater audience in a different way. And to me, it was just, I only wanted to uh, create these weird places for people to escape. And that to me sure. is what feels similar about all this, all this stuff. That's, yeah. That's glam, right? I mean, that's you, you, you create, it's, you create this escapism and, and this, I will this say it's world. glam, it's glam and, and in a weird way. And I, I ended up strangely getting to this, uh, uh, with, with, with Phil when we did a panel at Comic-Con, but mm-hmm. heavy metal. And I was like really into heavy metal as sure. a kid, like as a, as an early teen. 
and just those beautiful fantasy covers. And I would just really get into these worlds of Megadeth stuff with the sort of Hangar 18, the, you know, sort of alien conspiracy theories and stuff yeah. like that. Like, it's all stuff that I connected to, I think, as much because of the world that they were building as the music itself. Like, mm-hmm. like in those days, especially, you would walk into the record store and you would see the cover the cover was so instrumental in pulling you into the world and then maybe you realize you may like the music like that's how they <laughs> yeah. got kids like me yeah. they 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 uh they roped you into this sort of fantasy and I, and that's what's so great <laughs> to me about music absolutely i i remember being a kid and my dad putting on um uh specters the the uh, blue oyster cult record and just sort of Amazing. like realizing Wait, these guys, they're singing about Dracula right now? Like, you can do that in a song? You can create right, a story? Right, right. And he's like, oh, you think that's cool? Let me put on the pact for you. Dude, your dad sounds amazing. My I mean, dad was amazing. My dad's Yeah, it was, just, it was just yeah. Billy Joel for us. But, like, you know, I would look at those covers, and I was like, Blue Oyster Cult, I don't know what this is, and I don't think I ever really got into the music, but I was just, like, fascinated mm-hmm. by what it must be. Even just, like, the weird, you know, yeah. the... Um, what is the, the symbol yeah <laughs> it's like, what? Yeah, what? Yeah, i don't yeah. get it like what's going on here but yeah it's the mystery yeah. it's unlocking certain mysteries that i think are is, is really what brought me into music it's not it's mm-hmm. not a punk rock thing there are a lot of there's a lot of music that doesn't really get get you into that world and i sort of like music for a lot of different reasons but that was the hmm. impetus for me really yeah was was escape the first well, CD I bought know. was uh, Green mm-hmm. Day's Dookie. Similar cover. Like, there was a lot <laughs> going on. I loved that record. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. There's so great many album. great singles And, and so right, much and stuff to, like, like, pick out there, too. Yeah, and even, like, the considerations later in our career of, like, well, what's this going to look like? I mean, it's the same with comic covers now, but, like, like what's this going to look like as a, as a tiny little thumbnail? It's like, oh, yeah. well, I guess we have to think about a singular right. image. But I love that idea of um, I wasn't really – you know, too much of a consumer in the vinyl time, but I would get mm. those CDs or I would get cassette mm-hmm. tapes that you'd open up the fold and you'd see all this stuff. It's like that to me, like the, the detail was right. what was so magical about that stuff. And you'd almost feel cheated if all that there was were the lyric sheets, right? Like you, you want like some <laughs> photos of the band or you want some weird illustrations in there. Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, well, and the other thing about being in a band is it's, it is an exercise in collaboration, right? Like you, you, you have to, you have to learn to work within that framework and and figure oh, out yeah. how to how to compose something together. And I feel like there's a lot of that that goes into to creating comics as well. Am I, would I be right about that? <laughs> You're very right about that. I think that was uh, that was my big, uh, you know womp womp from phil when he's like you know it's a really co- this is a really collaborative medium like uh-huh. yeah, but can't i just write it just kind of like uh, just send it it's like it's just if, if you want that write a novel and it's just that's not what sure. this is um you know maybe maybe we can think of the novel as one, one of the only uh art forms maybe maybe painting or something as well that you really don't have to be accountable uh, to anyone else but no this is extremely uh, collaborative in a very similar way even if it's if it's adapted in the way that uh it feels like music has where mm-hmm. a lot of it happens remotely there's some back and forth that can happen digitally but still there's you know tons of back and forth one thing i didn't realize in particular uh just in terms of process was uh, how much would would happen on the writing side from getting the art uh to lettering and um actually making a, uh, you, you, i guess i guess you're never going to get exactly what you 
envisioned or mm. you don't have the ability to completely envision how the letters are going to look across a page once the art is done once the panels aren't exactly as you um the size isn't what you exactly what you expected all this and sure. that i mean actually i i was wondering sometimes if uh certain panels would remain their their size because the artist would see that there's more dialogue you know, happening on this one panel or not. And Phil was like, sometimes I just delete all the dialogue from my scripts. I don't even want to know what they're saying and let them deal with it later, which is, you know, I guess, you know, wow. he's got the balls to do it. But um, <laughs> so a lot happened then it was, it wasn't, mm-hmm. it wasn't send it off to the, send it off to the artist and the artist sends it off to the letterer. It was back, mm-hmm. back to me right, and just right. making this sort of work with what they did. Um, it was very back and forth. It mm-hmm. was, it was, it was enjoyable that way though, because I had two people that are really, good at what they do yeah it's, it's oh a, absolutely that, that part of the process of cr- creating comics is so fascinating to me i was talking to joshua williamson about it and he was saying like there's been times where he gets the art back and it's just like rewriting every bit of dialogue for pace for story uh details that to come in at the right time just because yeah the, yeah the art could and the way it's all laid out can really affect the flow of the story exactly and, and just fascinating to see how much that can change things how much uh what you envisioned is just not what ends up there, but it, it's be, It could be better. And it most, most, most of the time is better because you're working the, with artists that understand visual flow in a way that right. you as a writer can't necessarily. Mm-hmm. Speaking do. of uh, envisioned, there are some blue birds that pop up in the first issue of WAG. Any connection to, I'm not going to say the new name, Twitter. The, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of funny because, um, no, I should say, um, not directly, but mm. I was thinking a lot about conspiracy theories mm. and paranoia in this book, and you'll see that sort of uh, manifest a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, I started to discover – I hope this isn't giving too much away, but it's, I started to discover the birds are real uh, movement, if you're aware of that, um, sort mm-hmm. of into the writing of this book, which is sort of a joke on conspiracy theories. Um uh, a sort of conspiracy theory in and of itself that any bird you see is not real. I think that was really interested in the paranoia of, uh-huh. of, of that idea, but the birds are real movement, I believe was tied into Twitter being a source of conspiracy theories uh, and using the bird as, as an image for that. So That's I think really, it is in yeah. some indirect way, all tied together. Um, and probably the more it happened, the more, the more I, I, it was interesting writing this, at the beginning of the pandemic and seeing mm-hmm. the world as it was getting drawn and then finally released up till now, which is right. a few years of process and, yeah. and how some of that symbology actually seemed to, to slap me in the face a little bit more. <laughs> I can't imagine like yeah. starting a story about a submarine exploding and then, you know, your, your oh, artist, sure. is, artist has just started on issue two and then you watch the news and you're like, Huh, I wonder what I'm going to do with this now. Yeah, what am I going to do? But 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 it's really funny because I'm all about leaning in and I wanted a focus of nostalgia to be um Russia and China as as uh world forces uh mm-hmm. sort of slowly trickling into the United States and this Ukrainian uh billionaire being sort of a uh 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 a foil to to all of that and um 
when Russia invaded the Ukraine, I was just like, God, this is just so annoying because it's going to look so obvious what I'm doing. It's going to look like I just mm-hmm. pulled these out there. But in the end, it uh-huh. kind of doesn't really matter no. what it looks like you're pulling from. And right. and, and I, I'm hopefully, fingers crossed, making books that are going to have a life beyond this moment. And definitely, um, I, don't, I don't think it will resonate in the same way with a little bit of time. I think you sort of have to lean into those things. There's probably some changes that people make that sort of ha- have to have to happen. I know there was a, um, wasn't there a fame? Uh, no, I'm not even going to bring it up. There, 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 there was, there were some incidents with sort of modern, modern events in comics that sort of mm-hmm. had to be, had to go away. I know there was the Superman uh, trailer that happened uh, around nine 11. If you remember right. that, oh, that's right. Sort of the web between the, the, the world, the oh, yeah, world trade yeah, center. Spider-Man. And I, from I believe, every DVD. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. So I think I think there are those considerations that you have to kind of uh, mm-hmm. uh, think about. But but no, it was it's super interesting to see those things pop up. And I like I said, I lean in. I'm just like, um, this is going to look different in a few years anyway. So mm-hmm. just let it let it be. Just go that was it. that was yeah. my moment in time. That was already that was already yeah. there. Um, and it it was it's there for a reason. Do I you guess. believe in the zeitgeist yeah. that we're all kind of tapping into the same sort of? thinking processes i mean i didn't even know it was something you have to believe in like i just think it's a there's a reality right i mean we're we're a connected global world Mm -hmm. so i think how else can you get two volcano movies in the same summer i mean come on guys it's right here (laughs) (laughs) sorry i mean that's my first example is like why are there so many volcano movies i can't even think of two actually (laughs) there was one where they threw the guy into the volcano dante's peak and um, okay okay volcano Volcano with um Uh uh-huh with the two that's just there. that's just that's just lazy that's just laziness lazy me, right yeah <laughs> right. no exactly it's like you know you can do better than a volcano right i mean i guess a volcano is like what fun. if wag the dog the movie came out the same time wag came out at comics i know i know i do think about like like what is what is uh you know what's a number of you know young adult dog you know uh <laughs> cutesy dog comics that are that are out there sure. in the ether but i don't i don't really know yeah you do have to obviously those things matter but um what are you gonna do we're a right. we're a giant hive of culture i mean are we really that unique anyway Oof. ouch, ouch. Next how much time how there. much time you got yeah right <laughs> how many how many comics podcasts are hosted by two white guys in their 30s <laughs> That's the first thing I thought. No, I, I didn't think that because because uh, fortunately it is a growing diverse, uh, yes. you know, growing in diversity and awesome. And look, Absolutely. we're 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 all nerds here, right? Yeah, we're all pink, we're, we're, we're here all pink we inside. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, Wag has a sort of mantra that he repeats throughout the the issue to sort of center himself. You know, head, shoulders, toes. Uh, you know, and, and uh, do you find that doing things like that, like rituals like that help you in your daily life? Well, I definitely wanted to talk about obsessive compulsive disorder, which I can't mm-hmm. say I'm necessarily diagnosed with, but um, a lot of people, we as a culture, we, we have ritualized behavior. And mm-hmm. um, I think in crises, we lean into that ritualized behavior. Yes, I find myself doing that. I'm I'm a creature of habit. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of what this book was about. Was about um, uh, escaping into comfort and habit. And again, what a what an post apocalyptic scenario would do to to uh, to turn that upside down. Uh, so 
I think I was thinking a lot about neurology with this book and a lot about um, uh, specifically the voices in our head. And, mm-hmm. and um, I can get into that a little bit, but, but basically um, I'm interested in how we deal with those voices, how loud those voices can be um, from one person to the other and um, how we connect with those voices. And then of course, looking at uh, kind of the, the precipice that we're on of, of, um, uh, neurological bio bioscience, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, uh, neurological implanting, stuff like that. And how we will deal with either, uh, uh, crushing those voices or actually enhancing them through, mm-hmm. through technology. Right. Or um, mushrooms. Look, uh, are you, you know, are you into the, uh, what is it? The stone date theory, you know, about this? No, oh, we don't know that? this. Stone date theory is basically that um, consciousness was was uh, was basically birthed from uh, apes eating psychedelics or, or experimenting oh, or wow. act, even accidentally yeah. uh, coming upon psychedelics. So I think that stuff is super interesting. I'm interested I, in that from a from a very non-participatory sense, sure. but uh, I, I I think it's fascinating. No, I I found I. I... It's something that never occurred to me until I was reading a study about it, I, I think sometime last year. But the the idea that there are people who, like like you're saying, our inner monologue is sort of a, it varies from person to person. Some people, it's a very literalized, I hear a voice. Some people, I think in abstracts or in sentences. And some people are genuinely frightened by it. You know, throughout mm. history, people have been terrified by the idea of hearing their own thoughts. Some people claim uh, they don't, don't even have yeah. any thoughts. Like, they can't yes. do so, that. That's so wild. this is this is super fascinating and obviously uh, uh, something that that's in the book and I was obviously mm-hmm. uh uh interested in it if I was going to go this deep and 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 again you'll see where it goes but um this the, the real impetus of this book was actually not not only the pandemic but reading about inner voice the inner voice mm-hmm. um there's a great article in the new yorker about um about what the inner voice is and and, and what the way we have uh understood our own inner voice mm-hmm. um through through history um, there was a point in time where, uh, you know, people thought it was a voice of God or a God. Hmm. Um, there was a point in time when people actually weren't sure whether that was even a voice from yourself. Maybe it was a, maybe it was someone else's voice and maybe they didn't know who that was, but there's a sort of, they saw it as a second, as a second person. So I'm super interested in that. There was a lot of studies recently of trying to, trying to, um, understand the sort of relativity in the inner voice as you're sort of talking about from person mm-hmm. to person. And they w- would do these studies where um, you would have this device that would just sort of ding, you know, it'd give you like a, a little uh, a wake up ding, like a sound that um, in that moment you would write down exactly what's going on in your head or what, what you can hear. And it's the only way for them to really get an idea because you describe the voice in your head. Yeah. It's like, is it, is it a, is it a, physical voice is it something Mm. that you just think about i mean it really is like kind of mind-blowing all this stuff but but what they found is that there is that huge diversity in the way that people hear that inner voice Mm -hmm. um some people hear it out loud as you were saying some people hear it as or don't don't 
technically hear it at all. It's just the way just that they instinctual think. or yeah, and it's not yeah, something you and, naturally and, talk about. So no one's really thinking about this, right? Right, yeah. exactly. But then we start talking to Siri, and we start having these technologies <laughs> that that become these voices. You know that right, that sort right. of that sort of you know the the joke or the sort of irony of seeing people on their on their cell phones or you know with their with their. Um, headphones in talking to themselves right, on the right. street and, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the sort of right exactly the joke that you know we used to see people like that and we'd say they're they're you know they're unwell and now we yeah. see people like Go that the other completely normal yeah. exactly so to me i i kind of like enjoy that i enjoy the confusion mm. as to as to what what we see it as normal because right. for some reason we see what we're doing here as normal and i think if Someone from, you know, the, the 18th century watch what mm. we were doing. They'd be like, these people are completely out of their minds. They're talking to themselves <laughs> and they're staring into a screen. So, you know, into a bright, into a bright box. Right. The, the walls of my apartment are very thin. And I always imagine my neighbor just wondering why I start <laughs> monologuing to myself Talk every to Saturday morning. <laughs> he always laughs at exactly. this hour on a Saturday. It's weird. He thinks he's exactly. really funny every he, Right. He finds weekend. himself really funny. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's fascinating, though. I mean, it's kind of endless mm-hmm. uh, fodder yeah. for me. But, but oh, tying that together definitely. into into a single story has also been fun. And just kind of seeing this as a... As a um, going back to what you were saying about uh, about ritual, seeing this as mm-hmm. all uh, aspects of self comfort, um, and self comfort being sometimes an escape, sometimes uh, an avoidance of things, but also something that uh, uh, can be necessary as humans, right? Yeah, it's it's a survival mechanism in a lot mm. of ways. You know, especially Absolutely. when we were all locked down and that's all we had really. I mean, some people were just, you know, in an apartment by themselves and yeah. how do you preserve, you know, your sense of self when that's all you right. got? Right. And, and I'm and I'm talking to to comics nerds, you know, fellow <laughs> comics nerds. You're probably uh-huh. a little more nerdy. Than, yeah, I know. <laughs> I like I like wait for the trade. You guys probably read the issues. I don't know. We okay. have we to. It's, our a, differences it's a weekly we, show where we review uh, the it's top yeah, exactly. issues. It's what you have to do. But I was going to say there, there there's so much ritual and comfort in, in even that. Yeah, true. Alone. Mm. Yeah, the fact yeah, yeah. that we routine. have this thing that we come back to the routine exactly. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Well, outside of what we were just talking about with like internal thoughts, are could you talk a little bit about some other themes that might be uh, coming up in the next four issues of WAG? Um. I think what has been really interesting to me about this process is the kind of stuff I've liked, I I really love about comics. What I really love about what the form can do, mm-hmm. um, and I know it sounds like a cliche, but we've already established that none of us are unique, right? We're a giant right. hive mind, but you know, <laughs> we're you, close. I, I look, we're we're all clone. Ba- we're, I mean, we basically are, right? Um, yeah. You know, I uh, I look at books with. Uh, a sort of lyrical language with um, mm-hmm. with books like like Alan Moore Swamp Thing or um, uh, you know talking a lot about uh, Peter Milligan and the way he's sort of um, you know in, in Shade, which I only discovered later thanks to my some of my nerd friends. Shade just kind of becoming poetry on the on the page. Oh yeah, and the idea that um, this could sort of be a a, a self reflexive. Uh, uh, technique within the book. The idea that I love that sort of lyricism, but also 
what is what are these voices and these experiences that we have other than some some kind of attempt at finding beauty and poetry in our lives. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a lot of that there. I was actually nice. super interested in another weird, um, ironic kind of uh, sense that like I was really interested in AI at the time, but the only thing that existed really for the public use was like poetry generators and stuff like that, where you're just mm-hmm. kind of like, what, you know, and th- these weren't really AI from what I understood, but I was like, what if this, what if this voice in his head that may be connected to something else is sort of uh, nothing more than this, this kind of poetry generator that is, uh, that is just spitting out uh, uh, random lyrical information. Yeah. So I was kind of playing with that idea and playing with a lot of uh uh, the way you can the the way that can be displayed on a comics page was really lucky mm-hmm. to work with Steve Wands, who's really great letter letterer and and, and oh yeah uh, thinking about the idea that um, this is not just wag but it comes into it a lot is that comics to me <clears throat> are a visual a kind of visual poetry because right. it's a it's more it's more poetry than prose in a lot of ways because it's about where words fall onto the page physically right. um and i was having a lot of fun with that and i think that's something to kind of uh maybe pay attention to and hopefully hopefully enjoy about the book hopefully and i actually have some moments that i probably get myself in trouble here but i i spit some things into a, a poetry generator at the time for this um sort of being that we'll meet later to to speak in and it was like four lines and i just kept using them and reiterating them and changing them and this and that so um you're probably gonna like you know i'm probably gonna get sued and you're gonna you know realize that there's <laughs> no fine. way to copyright my book now yeah but but you know <laughs> we're but, all clones was, we're all the same and every time we open our mouths and it's we're, exactly the same it's just no Every time we open our mouths, we're we're open to a new lawsuit. Or you <laughs> that's know, true. Uh, if you live in America, you know. sure. Yeah, exactly. But but I I did find the conversation about uh, AI to be super interesting as this book was getting drawn and then coming out, and I was just like, oh my god, like what does this mean in the in terms of the conversation? But also yeah. again leaning into it, and just saying like this this is a look at at where the idea of AI was before it became a sort of uh, household uh, concept, right? And and I like the idea of these sort of primitive AIs and and what what is their purpose? I think Wag is thinking mm-hmm. about his purpose, but what what are these AIs' purpose? And do they do they sense any kind of purpose for themselves? So the poetry right. AI is basically like the uh, Rick and Morty butter um, robot that has only one. This is function. terrible. I don't know my Rick and Morty. Oh, that's all right. I need to same. I need to <laughs> really okay. No, but yeah. I'm into this. I'm gonna look this up. What, what oh, is it? It's a, um, it's, there's a robot it's that uh, it, it simply serves butter, and it's like, what is my purpose? Yeah. And Rick is like, <laughs> you have one purpose. That's all. It's very that's sad it. and twisted, yeah. and it's a uh, it's a great moment. Yeah, yeah. Look at that's it. fantastic. I remember really early early days, like ten years ago. I had a friend that was um, actually just on his own. He's kind of a, a, a coder dork, and and was programming these. Uh, uh, these poetry generators and like these these sort of response generators that you could type in questions and it would sort mm-hmm. of give you responses. And I was like, oh, well, that's the way the brain works, right? I mean, this is basically early consciousness. He's like, it has nothing to do with how the brain works. Like this is this is an automated system just giving you stuff mm-hmm. that um, 
even though there's a randomness, it spits it spits it right back. It doesn't uh, know what right. it's doing, and it doesn't. And yet, care. it's like it's like horoscopes, isn't it? In a sense, like you you can find meaning and purpose in it, even though it's completely random. Your human brain will be like, "Oh, this is came out." We're going to get in all kinds of trouble here. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm an accredited uh, astrologist. Yeah. What is it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'm not really. We, we had another a crazy what, team on, and we were trashing horoscopes and. Uh, and whatnot uh, a couple of weeks ago, so we should That's be right. all right. Yeah, yeah, you're you're safe. You're you're already out of their books anyway. Right. But all no, the I astrology fans are gone. Yeah, yeah, and I'm like I'm like a a big science person. I'm really you know mm-hmm. I really you know I I don't really believe in ghosts. I don't really believe in you know ufo sightings or whatever but Mm -hmm. i look i look at the horoscopes and i say like how does it nail me so well i'm like sure typical virgo up and down the list i'm the same with libra to the t yeah Yeah. it's really bizarre isn't it never really looked into it and then my my partner told me recently you know you're like the canceriest cancer that's ever lived really (laughs) Mm -hmm. i always hear stuff like that people like no 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. The the, the the cynics are like, no, no, no. Like, like you can mm-hmm. see anything you want, even in those right. descriptions. And I'm like, mm-hmm. they're they're pretty unique. Yeah, the, it's almost like describing like, what I'm wearing. I've, like, what? <laughs> here's my take on it. Yeah. It probably has nothing to do with the stars. It probably has more to do with the the the, the month you were born because the type of people you're dealing with that were born two months <laughs> earlier are dicks to sure. that kind of, you know what I mean? Like there's this cycle of people being born. Well, I things. think so too, but I think it's actually the world you're maybe born into, which maybe I'm crazy about like the weather and uh-huh. the way oh, sure. yeah. seasons. You know, if you the, live in new England. Yeah. There you go. California. No well, I guess, I guess, I, <laughs> I guess since seasons, seasons are so different across the world. Okay. So scratch that. Oh, there. you said weather. I said seasons, it. which is sort of the same, but not really. Yeah. It is, but yeah, they're different. They're different in different places. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, you know, if you're born into like cold wind. Listen, we're going to solve this right now, guys. So just, I hope How you have a drink. You got? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> was, I'm ready. I, I grew, grew up in Florida, so I'm like just hot and annoyed all the time. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're all cancers then. That's Everyone, right. <laughs> all of yeah. us. Just a bunch of crabs. Oh, that's uh, funny. Um, so you have, you have nostalgia, uh, you have wag, would, would, uh, which you sort of, started working on both of them around the same time would you sure. could we expect to have sort of like a is there sort of a tr- loose trilogy underway or do you find them to be super different from each other god that's an awesome question because i mean i would <laughs> never even have thought about it but no i feel like i'm making like a like a what's the word for the 10 in a series it's all the same story just over and over sure. again, so i i don't <laughs> i don't really know um no i i i hope there are uh, quite a few more projects to come. Fingers crossed. Mm-hmm. Maybe hint, hint. We'll see. But uh, I, I haven't really thought about the work that way. What I really do think about when it comes to creating that work is is getting it out of my system and then moving mm-hmm. on to something completely different. Nice. Okay, I, completely isn't fair since these have their similarities. But like something that really does feel like it's a departure. That something that's challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, I've uh, I've since written in a little bit of uh, recent uh, alt history, uh, written in uh, sort of current day, sort of comedic, slightly comedic work. That's hopefully something you'll you'll see sooner than later. Um, I'm keeping it just really diverse, so so I don't know cool. that something like this will happen again. I will say the next thing I wrote after this one was another mm-hmm. sci-fi. 
uh, kind of uh, sad sci-fi romance that uh, maybe you could see as a, a bit of a trilogy. We'll try to get that one out Ooh. there. The Scott yeah. Hoffman uh, hardcover trilogy box set coming to you soon. Omnibus. Omnibus. Oh, sorry. Yeah. sorry. <laughs> I'm ready. I'm already ready for the Gold Gilded. Be a lot uh, of blank pages. Gilded pages. Yeah. Uh, what is that bookmark? I heard, that's, heard that's cheap. Oh, yeah. The little the ribbon. The yeah, little yeah, ribbon. The ribbon. Yeah, I want the ribbon. Oh, sure. I can yeah. see it. Please. <laughs> Very fancy. Please. Please. I'll have well, you talk to my uh, to my agent. Absolutely. I don't have an agent. Like it's just it. you with a different well, voice. I like saying that. Yeah. It's you don't have an agent, but... Hello, this can... is Belvedere, Scott Hoffman's agent. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't Trump doing that? He would like he call was. up the press in like different voices and uh-huh. stuff like that. Yeah, oh, I, I, about about that. that. I wish I had the balls to do that. Ugh. You know, I I emailed Tommy Wiseau once. The uh, the oh, <laughs> the, I know, the I know who that is. And he, I got, I got. I got responses from multiple different people that all wrote exactly like him. Yeah, so exactly. I... <laughs> exactly. They literally, you could hear that accent in yeah. the in the email. Yeah. Like I, so I had ordered a Blu-ray of the room, and I had read online that if you requested an autograph, he would autograph it for you before it was like put in the mail. And so I said, is it possible to get an autograph? And I get an email back that literally starts with, oh, hi, Nathan. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe they're using a a Tommy, like, AI generator. Uh, Right, exactly. It's like, who's ahead of the curve? Right, just feed in the, uh, feed in the, the gags. So funny. Well, Scott, Um, uh, our last question usually with this, with this podcast is, uh, where can folks find you on the internet and, uh, share any, uh, links or other uh, upcoming work that you'd like to right now plug plug away i love it so so uh wag is uh the first one is out now mm-hmm. it's a five issue series monthly um and that's on uh comiXology originals and that can be read it's very easy if you have an amazon prime which i don't know if a lot of people know this if you have an amazon mm-hmm. prime subscription you can read it for free if you have Comixology Unlimited, you can read it for free. Or if you have Kindle Unlimited, you can read it for free. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's the trifecta of, of Amazon subscriptions. Um, uh, Nostalgia is out fully. There will be a collected digital version um, out there eventually, but the five issues of that one are out on Comixology as well. I'm Tangfastic Man. You might need to put that in the uh, uh, show notes. In the type, oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but, um, totally. But yeah, you can reach me on socials, and um, hopefully, we'll be at uh, New York Comic Con. No, I mean, I'll totally be at New York Comic Con. I just don't know exactly what I'll be doing for that. But um, <laughs> I'm going to be around. Yeah, you're not going to get rid of me. I think uh, it's been awesome. The comics comics world has been super accepting. I I, yeah. I have uh, I have imposter syndrome to some degree, and especially in this world because I don't know the entire history of. Uh, the X-Men or, or the Fantastic <laughs> Four even really are. You but know like, who Madeline I Pryor love... is? God, I... Yes, I do. I, I love Madeline Pryor. I, I don't know who that is. But um, yeah, I I, um, I I kind of came from that world of like, like you know, I, I mentioned reading weird Vertigo books, but mm-hmm. like, you know, even the kind of underground stuff, like the, you know, uh, you know, books like Black Hole and like the, mm-hmm. the, the, the kind of like... Uh, uh, the the sort of crumb world of of underground comics as well. Just anything weird. I just love the weird. So I, yeah. I just haven't really been as uh, as exposed to the entire breadth of of uh, 
superhero comics and all that. But but regardless, long story short, again, mm-hmm. sorry, uh, the comics world has been super accepting and um, willing to listen to the stories that I have to tell, which is for good which reason. Is awesome. I think Wags yeah, a great. I, I first issue. That. Second issue is out October third, and uh, thank oh. you. I didn't even know that, but thank you. Yeah. I looked that one up. Uh, thank you so like much it. for being on the AFT Comics Podcast. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Anytime, man.